Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, just after 3 o'clock here in Daytona. Welcome along to Series 13, Episode 3 of Midweek Motorsport. I'm John Hindoff, and as you can probably hear, uh, we're not in the IMSA broadcast booth right at this current moment. We are, in fact, in the very epicentre of North American racing. Uh, we're in Marion's Hospitality, which will be uh, partially our home for this broadcast week for RS2 IMSA Radio's efforts here at the Daytona International Speedway. Alongside me is Johnny Palmer. Across the table from me is uh, Shea Adam. And uh, this is going to be a slightly different programme this week as we are uh, obviously looking at what goes on here at uh, Daytona. Uh, But uh, we will start with some news. Um, Won't put the news jingle in here, but we will start with some news coming out of this paddock. Shea, come round this side so that uh, I don't have to stretch too far. I'm getting too old for that sort of thing now. And uh, even uh, this close to the race, some stories coming out of Daytona and uh, one of them concerning uh, one of our uh, erstwhile broadcast colleagues, Ashley Freiburg. Yeah, Ashley getting a ride. Uh, she'll be with GMG in an Audi GT4 car, which is going to be very exciting because obviously it's the debut for that car in this championship, getting the R8 LMS GT4. We're going to have to practice that name over and over again. Um, <laughs> but it's an all-female lineup. Ashley, who has won the race here before, it was a four-hour race. There was a few years back driving alongside Trent Hinman in a BMW. Now has to approach a challenge, not with a co-driver who's ever raced in the U.S. before. So that's a big challenge as well. Uh, yeah, coming out of the uh, Audi TT Cup, her co-driver, who I've actually met, actually, because she was uh, at the final round of the TT Cup when we were there last year. Um, Gosia Redist from Poland. Uh, I think her best finish of around about fifth position in the, those championship races, although I did have a, a broken leg at Zandvoort uh, last year. We wished them the well. Uh, well, Ashley, of course, needing no introduction to listeners of this program um, GT3 Cup Porsche driver led the championship before she had to uh, she was forced out of that uh, championship with uh, some sponsorship issues she drove for per- uh, Turner BMW uh, in their previous iteration and news about them in a moment uh, as well and uh, won races for them including here in, in a four hour race here uh, the Audi GT4 car that the the uh, they, they will be driving for GMG, Johnny. had a stunning debut uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Dubai 24 Hours. Uh, a lot of new GT4 machinery there. Of course, this time last year, it was the debut for the BMW M4 GT4. Um, 
Mercedes-Benz GT4 car are there in force as well as the Audis and the two Phoenix cars first and second in that race so pretty pretty good uh, pretty good debut and in fact Gossier was, was part of the Phoenix team uh, out there as well GT4 is a place to be at the moment isn't it it would seem anyway I, you know steadily um, the bias has changed within British GT a championship I know fairly well and almost GT4 numbers overtaking threes and it was great to be at Dubai a few weeks ago to, to see the new Audi R8 LMS the Mercedes that we first saw being tested at Spa uh, they weren't you know hom- homologated then but I understand customer interest in that new Merc is phenomenal um, and, and, and it seems like you can bring all sorts of different chassis now possibly more so than the GT3 so it's going to be fun to watch certainly the Audis this weekend on the banking as well yeah, because you you haven't seen any running um, yet of the uh, of the big series uh, as it goes uh, at the moment. A thought about those GT four cars. So we're we're talking Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge here, just by default, I suppose. Really, having started with Ashley as the first story here on Midweek Motorsport, um, the, the GT four cars haven't all had a perfect birth in the motorsport at the Circuit of the Americas in the Creventic 24-hour race um, several GT4 Mercedes-Benz came and none of them really got a clear run and in fact only one of them the HTP Winwood car was in good enough shape to come here in December and you saw it here um, to do the homologation test yeah, we did, and there weren't as many GT4 cars here then as there will be in the race we're going to have 28 maybe 29 um, because there's a little bit of confusion over one of the series staples, the Marilla racing cars. Mm. Uh, there was supposed to be a second GT4 Mercedes that was going to be run by Brent Mosing and Tim Probert. It was listed as a GT4 Mercedes on the first entry list. It was listed as a Porsche on the second entry list in ST. I'm not entirely sure which car they brought. I know they have both. Uh, so it will be to their discretion. And we might get an extra McLaren for the race, actually. That's still yet to be decided. But we've had quite a few driver announcements, aside from Ashley, in the past week um, from GT4 cars that we saw running. Not necessarily with drivers at the Roar. I'm thinking about RS1, the championship winners from two years ago in ST. And last year in GS, as a matter of fact, they've announced that Spencer Pompelli and Dylan McAvern, our series champion in GS last year, will be sharing a car. And the sister car, the number 18 or 17 car, will be driven by Connor Bloom and Daniel Morad. So that's going to be an intriguing one as well. We have all these new cars. We have a lot of new drivers. So it's going to be interesting to see how they can sort of get up to pace quickly with the first practice session only minutes away. The situation, though, with these GT4 cars, um, they're still quite new, some of these cars. The two major manufacturers, Mercedes-Benz, Audi, add in BMW there, three major German manufacturers getting involved. There does seem to be a slight difference in philosophy if I can put it that way Johnny between the cars themselves you look at the Audi and twice at Dubai twice or three times at Dubai I looked across the track and with the naked eye even through the binoculars I looked and said oh that's a TT Um, because it's quite a standard looking car all right it's got race livery on it but if you look at the Mercedes-Benz and certainly the BMW M4 GT4 they are clearly in some ways a more highly developed racing machine and I'm not sure whose philosophy is going to play out. There's a, there's a cost implication there. Um, Mercedes have, have brought the cars over here at 
just under a tad under two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I'm told. But there's a lot of racing parts there. For example, the gearbox is identical to the GT3 car, as is the dashboard, which obviously means that should anything go wrong with those, that's going to push the prices up. Mercedes, in their defence, would say, speaking to Thomas Yeager at AMG, well, they're racing parts, so you should have to replace them less often. Yes, they're slightly more expensive, but over time, it'll play out in your favour. And, and as you, you rightly said, um, in terms of customer orders, I think seven came to the state, seven orders straight away at the end of Petit Le Mans last year. But an intriguing difference in how these big manufacturers are going about what is it very much a customer racing programme. Yeah, and that's almost the point of GT4 is to, to drum up interest um, in GT racing, but at an, an affordable, in inverted commas, cost. Um, but as you say, I mean, Audi have been doing customer racing for many, many seasons. I'm not sure. Well, Mercedes do have experience as well in GT3, but this is a whole new ball game for GT4, and they are maybe edging towards the less Group N spec yes. corner, if you like. Um, oh, there's a term I haven't heard for a while, Group N, showroom spec type cars. Well, yeah, yeah it, it, they are in a sense. I mean, I, I don't know whether any GT4 cars ever started off as kind of factory units and then they're built into race cars. GT3 is very much coming from the other direction whereby mm. they're made to look like street cars, but they're absolutely not. Um, well, the Aston Martin that I raced at, raced at quarter was a street car that yes. was converted to a race car yes. because it was a special edition. It was GT8. the GT8. Yes. Now, that GT8 was the model designation, not the formula in which it raced and the GT8 was used to turn into a GT4 car because it had a slightly different body kit and the slightly different rules about how many you need to build in GT4 as well um, uh, so that car did start as in, in fact when I raced it it was as David King from Aston Martin always says a mildly modified road car now up against something like the Mercedes which weren't in our classic quarter they were in the SPX class because they weren't homologated and neither were they running to BOP there was six, seven seconds a lap difference between their best drivers and our best drivers, and you know, I wasn't their best driver, so my times don't really matter on that. You did a Th- splendid job. You did a splendid job. We all know that. You didn't have to say that, but thank you. Um, you weren't the best driver yet. Not the best driver yet. Well, uh, Indy John, she's just been and said hello from the HTP from the Winwood uh, racing team and he still never finished in front of me in a in a 24 hour race so uh, you know that's that's all I've got to say there a point I made yeah absolutely um what the, the the point I was getting to there Johnny is the rapid development of these GT categories which to me is potentially good and bad news uh, good because it's showing manufacturer interest in the, the sport that I love, GT endurance racing. Um, bad, potentially, because manufacturer interest in any form of motorsport is okay for a while, as long as they don't take it over. Yes, I would agree with that. I, I mean, you've got to have cars to race, so you need the manufacturers to start with, and you need people like... Adam Christodoulou or Bernd Schneider to test them as well and to, to potentially show people how quickly they can go um, but then they you have to I suppose push them out into the water and say okay they're now the customer cars mm. there needs to be some customer care as well but they also have to be I mean you, you buy the car that's a massive expense they then have to be affordable to run as well and I think your point about gearboxes and suspension parts engines and things like that need to yeah be. suspension bits that get damaged 
in accidents as well and, and you know those are what they call crash parts and, and you need a lot of those but at the same time when a manufacturer comes in they have to hit a level and you can't expect everyone to come in at the same level I suppose and just like the car has been honed through testing in terms of performance maybe Mercedes, Audi, BMW will also have to readjust their approach as well depending on the customer feedback they get and also is it starting to affect sales do they have to just kind of go okay we've we've gone in at the wrong level here let's just make it slightly more affordable it's been a slightly different story for Porsche in GT4 um, I was going to say a false start that's possibly a little bit unfair for them but the Cayman was the GT4 car of choice there's been several iterations of, of Cayman now and we've seen that develop within the Continental Series in the last couple of years yeah, and when the car first came in, what was that, two seasons ago, it was the C.J. Wilson guys who first got the car and ran with it. They were representing, they were doing a very good job winning races, to their credit, and being ultra-competitive, albeit the field wasn't as packed as it is now. So we had that came in and the Mustang at the forefront basically the whole year. Then we came to the new iteration, the MR version, and that was the one that won the championship last year. It was consistent finishes for the RS1 team that drew it to the front, but there was still competition. We still had McLarens winning. We still had the Fords winning. We still had races every weekend where you and I were coming into the weekend going, who's your money on? Yeah. Throw a dart. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely right. Now, you mentioned that Ford Mustang, that's a, a relatively new product. The cars that we've seen racing in GS in the past have not necessarily been a GT4 formula car. They are now. The Camaro, we know, is there, achingly beautiful looking and sounding. Um, McLaren, you've mentioned, that's a whole different uh, kettle of racing fish, yeah. um, if you can have that, um, with the very much a, a, in a, a different price point to, to some of the other cars uh, as well. We've got nearly 30 of them in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge and the BMW Endurance Race, the four-hour endurance race on Friday. It is going to be the first time we've seen these cars together. It's a tough start to the season for everybody. It is. Four hours. You've got to make it through. But as you just mentioned, the BMW Endurance Race, well, we have BMWs back in GS. So there's more pressure on the guys running those cars and the new M4s. I'm thinking of the Bimmer World crew. We've got drivers like Tyler Cook and James Clay who have been testing the car in snow because that's when they go to the track. (laughs) So you come to Florida, it's not as cold as it was at the Roar. We're not dealing with some... Oh, not by not by 10, 15, 15 degrees Celsius, which yeah. is a heck of a lot more on the Fahrenheit scale. I mean, it was literally half a degree below freezing on Friday morning of the raw. I'm not in my snow jacket. That's a good indication. And I'm sweating yesterday in the middle of the day, everyone was because it gets that hot. You were so, glowing, darling. You were glowing. You never sweat. Well, I slight perspiration, possibly. <laughs> um, and from a Florida girl, that takes a lot. That's not something that normally happens. Um, But for the BMW guys, they're coming into this track. They have zero data in these temperatures. You're going into a four-hour race where you know nothing about how the car works in 80, 90 degrees. It's going to be a learning experience for them, more so than the people who ran McLarens, Fords, Porsches last year. For me, the interest in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge over the last few years has been the variety of machinery. We get that again this year. We add a new class in TCR, I'll talk about that in a moment, but before we leave GS, got to say huge congratulations to the policy makers, the soothsayers, those that gaze at the crystal ball in IMSA, because it was only two seasons ago that we were in middle single figures. Four cars. 
four cars yeah exactly yeah. And, and everybody said oh if you if you adopt GT4 it's the death of GS and they were wrong I'm afraid they were wrong and IMSA were right yeah it, too expensive it's going to kill the class nobody's want to come and play uh, excuse me hmm. we had four cars at Mosport two years ago we now have 28 cars yeah. starting at Daytona and by the way this is not a Daytona only hmm. we're looking at 25 cars full season it's going to be a good season for them Ultimately, we'll see, this will be the final season for ST Share, the street tuner class that's been such a staple of that. And a lot of fans I know, and I'm a one, my hand has gone up there, it doesn't work on radio, does it? Um, it actually does. <laughs> yeah, my left hand was raised. I am one of them, I'll put my hand up for that. I've loved that class because I've loved to see true garage Easts, guys working out the back of their shop, um, bringing these cars to track and racing them in, in some fantastic competitions and some fantastic circuits. The bitter truth is that performance street cars are getting so complicated now that it's almost impossible to do that with any degree of reliability and without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of hard-earned money. I mean, I, I won't mention which manufacturer and which team it was that said to me that, but a couple of guys telling me that they had over $100,000 in engine development on an ST car. In a street car. Yes. Yeah. I think back to the Mini last year at VIR when they had some sort of issue where every time they would cross the start-finish line, the pit lane speed limiter would be yeah. triggered. And so they kept having to come into the pit lane. That's a street car sort of development deal. Now, I mentioned Mini because they bring three cars to this race. We only have six potential ST cars. It depends on where the 65 decides to run, if they're going to run the Mercedes or the Porsche. But we've got three cars from Mini running an ST this weekend. So we could have a full Mini podium, which would be pretty wow. neat. But we also have two cars in class that weren't necessarily here last year. We've got the 81 Bimmer World, but it's not Lee Fugi running as was last year. He and Ari Bailog have moved class. They're in a GS car. So Nick Galante, who's wow. been a staple of class, will be running in a BMW. And then we've also got a car from Body Motion running in class. So even though it's the swan so song... that's a Porsche Cayman then? Yes. And even though it's the swan song, people haven't given it up and run away. Yeah, but the ones that have moved out of that class we haven't lost them you exactly. mentioned there they've transitioned to other classes GS yep. in a number of cases uh, again giving lie to that thought from some commentators not us that GT4 would be quote unquote too expensive exactly and even the ones that left and went to TCR there was one step up we've now got Britt Casey Jr. and Tom Long who are two people who've run an ST for six years they've moved into TCR with Compass Racing they're going to be in an Audi we've got two other Audis running in that class we should have had more but circumstances uh, causing other issues we're going to have seven TCR cars six ST cars yeah and including a VW Golf as well in there for a bit of variety. Yes. The Golf, the Golf yes. is here. It is here. Uh, it's two drivers in the car alongside of uh, John Miller, who's right. a name that we know. Two drivers we're not yet familiar with. I don't know how to pronounce their last name yet, so I'm not going to try butchering. Show it. me, show me. Uh, me Go through the book page. of words. Is the uh, uh, this is a question I'm asking on Johnny's behalf? Is the Alpha here? No, the Alpha is not here. They have a. Uh, 
set up like a ride and drive set up this weekend at Palm Beach where they're trying to get people lured in for the full season. But it did run at the Roar, and man, it looked good. Yeah, I like the I like the look of that car. Slightly Lumbergs, Lumbergs, right? They're open wheel uh, racers. That when we go to VIR, remember how there's a short track nearby yeah. called South Boston? That's where these two guys are from. I've been to South Boston. Uh, it's a fine uh, night out for Saturday night short track racing. Um, TCR, Johnny, we've seen quite a lot of. Um, from its formative years um, it's really coming of age this year on a global scale with world touring cars effectively adopting the TCR formula and there's an irony about that that we don't need to go into uh, here in terms of the personalities involved there and who quote unquote has won that touring car battle um, we've also seen TCRs most notably in the International Endurance Series, the Creventic Series the Hankook Series um, turned into very very good endurance racing cars right up to and including 24 hours is it a slight surprise to you from what we were seeing there about the affordability of going racing in these cars something like $150,000 for these cars out here ready to race as a factory racing car with a factory number chassis number on it that we haven't got more than seven right now in this series Possibly, yeah, I think it is. I mean, and we don't have the variety yet either. Predominantly, they're Audi RS3s. We've got one Volkswagen Golf, I can see yeah. as well. Um, you know, it would be nice to have some Alphas. It'd be nice to have a bit more variety as well. I mean, it, it is. It's, it's obviously not a single make series, but there are a lot of common components, and yeah. and it's heavily restricted as well, with it being front wheel drive, two liter engines, with the exception to the Peugeots that run in Europe. Um, How about the new Peugeot? It is Peugeot have just built a proper TCR car, and and that was going to be my next point. What we need over here, I think, to help grow this uh, is a US manufacturer or a US-based manufacturer with a hot hatchback in TCR. Now we know there's a new Mazda three coming. That street car won't be available here in the states until next year 2019 but there's an opportunity for Mazda no point in them doing it on the current car there's no PR uh, there's no weight of PR behind that or there wouldn't be I have been told by a number of people who know far better about these things than I do that there are two big American manufacturer names who are well beyond just assessing TCR and part of the reason they are interested in TCR is because of the Continental Tire Sports Car Championship giving them effectively a foothold in the IMSA series and being part of the development of drivers. We've been saying for the last umpteen years this is the best undiscovered series. Mm. Well, now it's not undiscovered oh, anymore. Yeah. People cut out of work early. They you know, maybe pull up an extra browser screen on their computer on a Friday afternoon because they know this is quality racing. It's a perfect platform to advertise and, as you said, pull up and coming drivers. You mentioned Mazda. I can't remember the last time we had a Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge race without a Mazda. We're going to on Friday. Yeah, the MX-5 very long in the tooth now and not the current model anyway. It hasn't been the ND cars been out for a while and they're all NCs, weren't they, in the the previous years. Um, I I don't think it'll be long before we hear something from from Mazda um, let, let's get to the race itself on Friday let's jump ahead to that you're listening to Midweek Motorsport by the way it's uh, Series 13 Episode 3 we're at Daytona is it 3 or 4? 
three. It is three. I had to think about that there. Uh, we're at Daytona. We're in Marion's. Uh, Marion just sitting a couple of tables further over. I'll go and have a chat with her uh, in a moment. Four hours, Johnny. Um, we saw the race here four hours last year. You were a part of our IMSA radio commentary team for that as well. Uh, only two races in the Conti Tyre Series that are four hours. Uh, last year it was here in Laguna. This year it's here and Watkins Glen. Um, but it worked. And, and I thought it was a splendid, if you like, opener to the season. It's not their opener this year because we've had a PC race already. But a great concept. And it seems the teams liked it. And... Um, from the booth and from the viewers and listeners they like it too it's great I think for the teams and the drivers to get their teeth into something slightly longer slightly more complex and you know you can weave strategy into a four hour race perhaps more so than you can with the shorter races so um, weather might have a say I know Shay's latest forecast suggests that rain ain't going to happen on Friday I think it might but, but we'll wait and see um, but, but yeah this you are literally a little black rain cloud aren't you <laughs> I'm from I'm from the West Midlands in the UK. It rains all the time there, so I, I might have brought some with me. You never know. But this I mean this place has a habit of, you know, making the four hour race interesting throughout, and mm. there's often a sting in the tail as well. Um, yeah, Shay's showing me the, the weather app that says wall to wall sunshine. Um, but it, it, I mean, I, I actually quite in previous years I've managed to actually get out away from our coverage and mm. watch it for real and listen to our commentary, mm. and it. It's tense. It's mm. tense out in the grandstands because when the caution goes out, particularly late on in the race, and that blows your strategy entirely. And yeah. it, it can throw up freak results. So, you know, uh, yes, Street Tuner is, as we've established, on its way out, so a little slim on numbers. TCR is slim on numbers, but going the opposite yes. way, we hope. So there's this sort of crossfade going happening on. Uh, you can't complain about nearly 30 GT4 I'm cars. Not complaining about, no, absolutely not. GT4 cars is where the race is going to be, I reckon. Um, is there a slight dinge? And, and I'm not being a black, little black rain cloud now, but um, it strikes me that the overwhelming success of GS and GT4 might actually in these formative times be making people think oh, there's, there's no point in us going into TCR at the moment because we're not going to get any coverage I hope not I hope not because it's multi-class racing so there, there should be cover, an equal coverage for each well, there will be from us uh, indeed and you know TCR is, is, is uh, yes okay it's world uh, it's, it's a global formula but it's still establishing itself here in the US and I think you've got to give it time you've got to give it a season to build interest. See, if it was me, I'd look... The racing's going to be awesome. Oh, the, the racing's going to be magnificent. If it was me, she, I'd be looking on the other side of it saying, there's only seven cars, I've got a, I've got a chance to win a race at Daytona. I was going to say, Little Black Rain Cloud, meet Carl Thompson, because mm-hmm. he has one car in GS and three in TCR. Yeah. Yeah. So clearly looking as to where it's going to be, he wants to win the race overall. That's why he still has mm-hmm. left Paul Holden and Matt Plum together in the car, but you've got the opportunity to sweep a podium, potentially. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think being on the ground floor or something is always, always pretty cool. Um, we should mention, um, because I know people have been tweeting earlier on this week and asking this, about the balance of performance between GS, uh, the GT4 cars, and the TCR cars. Um, there is a slightly different situation here in IMSA than we find elsewhere. Um, because the cars are racing together on the track and because the TCR cars are so flipping quick through the corners they're pretty draggy on the banking here and, I, and now having seen them on the banking it, it takes a bit of getting used to it to see a tall very tall looking TCR golf sitting on the banking and going oh my god that's going to fall over any second now <laughs> of course it doesn't but 
they're not so quick around the banking, but they are very quick indeed on the infield. And I'm told by some people who were there and saw it that last year during some of the back-to-back tests, including, uh, I think, Watkins Glen and VIR, uh, the TCR cars were at least the equal in lap time of the then GT4 cars. Um, and, and depending on circumstances, sometimes the lap times were quicker. Now, I'll say two things about that. GT4's moved on, and the new Mercedes, of which they are our legion, um, are particularly fast, particularly in a straight line. Um, that 4-litre twin-turbo engine is magnificent. Um, however, there's also been some BOPing done by uh, Jeff and Simon, IMSA uh, technical gurus and their team, which has resulted in some physical changes as well as some under-the-body changes. Uh, there's a throttle stop, I think, that's been put into TCRs, so they can only get about 85% uh, throttle, some changes to the brakes uh, and, and things like that. Here. So there shouldn't be any worry. They'll still be ahead of the ST cars, but there won't be... Uh, the plan is not for, to have them challenging for overall victory. Yeah, and the way that the BOP has been laid out numerically, we should be fine. They should be no issue getting around the cars on the banking because that's where the GS cars should be stronger. Mm. And let's face it, that's the majority of the track here. The infield yeah. is only so long. Um, it shouldn't really be an issue, but we won't really know until the race goes green. Nobody shows their cards till then oh, anyway. Right. Now, we started off uh, this uh, part of Midweek Motorsport here, live from Daytona in Marion's, uh, with the uh, with news of, of one of our erstwhile colleagues uh, on the broadcast. We'll finish uh, staying in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge with uh, another one, and delighted that we got the exclusive on this. And, and thanks to Ted Giovannis Motorsport and to Owen Trinkler um, for for that. Um, we did a special program on a team TGM, not one but two full-time entries now this year. They've had two cars before, not always ran them in the race. And they finally announced the driver lineup, how it's going to be split. They've got Ted Giovannis driving alongside Guy Cosmo. That's nothing new. That's no, happened good. for a few years now. And they've got Hugh Plum and Owen Trinkler. That's a strong pairing. Holy cow. That is going to be fun. And thankfully, they've put those two in car number 46. Now, in years past, they've done 4 and 46. Those have been the two numbers right. that they've run with. Owen's number has been 44 for the last three, four, five, yeah. six decades. Um, so putting him in 46, it's only two more for us okay. to remember. Shouldn't be too bad. Right. And, and uh, great to have Ted back and doing the full yes. season. And great to have Guy doing the full season. You know, up until last season, I think that last season was his first full, uh, nearly full season uh, for quite some time. It was. And Guy, who made his return to this championship after a sizable break at Road America two years ago, they had been planning to run the full season until Ted got injured at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. That put a stopper in the plans. So they missed Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, obviously, with the crash damage. They missed Lime Rock. And then they had that minor incident at Road America where Guy flipped the car coming out of the pits in the rain. Do you remember that? Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm. So they've got the full season planned for this year for two-car effort. They're going for a championship, not just race wins, but championship. That is something new for this team because in the past, they've run three drivers, they've run two cars, but it's been more of a let's just go out and win as many races as we can. Uh, the whole race, uh, we've got qualifying and we've got some of the final practice so when we've got qualifying on RS2 IMSA Radio. The whole race is live in vision and sound uh, with our sound. We're the only full commentary team who's trackside here at Daytona. And it's not geo-blocked, there's no ads. So whether you're here in the States or further afield, uh, 
get online find out when that is in your time zone on Friday we'll have a little bit of a countdown to green uh, before it on IMSA Radio and then the whole race is live the first race of a new era of the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge is here at Daytona and we'll have it for you you're listening to Midweek Motorsport a special Midweek Motorsport as we're getting ready for a very busy week of racing and broadcasting here at Daytona International Speedway I was going to go and grab Marion but I see she's just grabbing something uh, to eat as the uh, afternoon services are coming to an end here Uh, getting on for half past in fact just over half past the hour uh, here uh, in Daytona wherever you are in the world thank you for joining us uh, here um, what shall we talk about next then well I, I want to say I want to save the big show for a moment I want to sh- save the big show uh, for a moment and I was going to go somewhere but that train's left the station again as you keep choo choo you see this is what happens when you get old and I should have written this down uh, Tim will be screaming at me now from back in London and I've got the talk back turned all the way down um, let's uh, let's talk about um what we saw uh, here uh, a few weeks ago for the Raw, um, the prototype challenge cars aren't here. They've had their race. It's a, it's a packed weekend. Um, we didn't really have a good chance to, to have a chat about that. Um, pretty decent field. And a, a race, and, and this is fresh in my memory because I've just been watching the TV show that's been put together by Jason and NASCAR Productions. And we wish Jason well, by the way. His last race uh, with us is going to be at Sebring before he moves on to Pastures New, Jason Jacobson. Um, I, I thought that worked. And that, again, that's IMSA listening to its constituency, the constituency here being the drivers and the teams who ran PC last year and said, do you know what, we'd like longer races and, and two driver races, and IMSA said okay, let's see if we can make that work oh yeah, we can, how does this look and now we've seen it, I think it looked pretty good The format was excellent, the way that it played out strategy wise, the team that won spent the least amount of time in the pit lane, as we found to be during the course of the race we thought that was going to happen, that people were getting used to the different mandatory pit stop length time, mm-hmm. and the team that made it the best was Roman DeAngelis and, and his guys really hope that he gets to come back for a full season because well, I've got some Roman DeAngelis news in a moment that I'm not sure that you've heard yet but carry on um, yeah so the format worked but to me the thing that worked best was having the race during the roar yeah because we had all the scouts here and it wasn't until after the fact John honestly that I saw the pictures of how many kids were here and all of them were smiling during the race because for the first time ever they get to come to the roar and they get to see cars actually trying to win they get to see trophies handed out they get to catch hats in victory lane that's what it's all about so the roar has always been an event for them bringing a race in just it's icing on the cake um the Roman DeAngelis news... That, yeah, I agree with all of that, uh, by the way, which, uh, and, I, and I thought the race was spectacular. Uh, the two-class category still works for me. The Roman DeAngelis news that I thought I had and now I can't find um, is that he's got a full-season drive in Platinum in Porsche Cup this year, in IMSA Porsche Carrera Cup uh, USA by uh, Yokohama. Um, and... Uh, to, immediately to the uh, to the internet for that, and I mean basically the, the guy was the guy to beat in gold category last year. Had some awful uh, luck, but proved himself young driver, young driver committing himself to sports cars early, and I, I'm fairly certain that that doesn't have an embargo on it. If it has, I haven't said which team it is, just in case. I've just yeah. re- just realised, but. 
no doubt about that young man's talent. Oh. And not just in a clearly not just in a, a GT car either after his PC debut. Well, and, and consider what he did last year in the Gold Cup of uh, GT3 Cup US because he was already a champion in Canada before the age of 16. I think he's 17 now, getting old, getting up there. Um, he's still growing, although he said he hopes he's done growing because you know you do reach that point where getting into a race car becomes difficult. Um, but for Roman, his father, Max, has been involved mm. in racing for such a long time. A developer by day, but a race car driver at night. That's sort of his uh, fun thing. Getting to come to the track with Max and seeing him race has been exciting for Max. But to improve upon what Roman has already done, he's already a Canadian champion. He very nearly won the U.S. championship last year in the Gold Cup after missing two races, keep in mind. If we get a full season of him in anything, I think it's fairly safe to say championship contender, at the very least, race winner for sure, will come. Um, before we move on, the other news that I've now remembered um, is uh, about uh, our friends at Continental Tire. Uh, this is their last season of the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge and also the last season in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Um, but news this week coming about something new for them. They're heading off into Rallycross, into uh, the Red Bull Rallycross uh, Championship. Interesting departure for them. They've got a couple of other uh, sub-brands as well uh, of Continental Tire. First thing to say, Shea, is that we'll miss them here. They've been a very, very impressive partner for IMSA. And this we've known has been coming for a while. I think the news broke last year when we were at Mazda Raceway, Laguna Seca. Absolutely right. So it's something that... We've been aware of Michelin. On a midweek motorsport, in fact, we had uh, uh, Travis was good enough to give us an exclusive quote on that, as I remember. And Michelin coming in, they've already begun the process of getting ready for next year. But we can't forget about this year and how the development by Continental Tire mm. hasn't been sort of shoved off to the side. They are still working on making the tires better every single race weekend that they can trying to do things to develop not for the future but for the now that's going to lead to some impressive racing and some changes throughout the course of the year that we see with our teams there was supposed to be a test with michelin uh for the gt4 cars running in in what is now the continental tire sports car challenge the day after the roar finished it was rained out unfortunately so michelin has already looked uh, yes, at what else they can do yeah you were already on a plane home or were you already home uh, no i was i stayed over because there was a half a chance that i was going to get into a gt4 car at that test but it was rained off because i didn't fly till the tuesday or the wednesday of that week um Red, with my racing driver career. Uh, the Red Bull Global Rallycross, the GRC, multi-year partnership starting in this 2018 season. Um, I, I'm a big Rallycross fan. Hand has gone up again there. It, it, it speaks to my youth. It was Saturday afternoon television in the UK. Um, quick fire, short, sharp and croft my nearest motor racing circuit wasn't a motor racing circuit when I was growing up it didn't have all its tarmac, it did rallycross instead and still one of the best motorsport events I've ever been to was the uh, the European rallycross championship that finished in the dark and a cold October evening Martin Shanker and Demi Mavropoulos and all these guys in former Group B rally cars turned up to 11, spitting six feet of flames out the back on the turbo overrun. It was just so spectacular. Interesting departure for Continental Tire, but into a, uh, a, a growth industry, a growth part of motorsport, um, and uh, very, very much aimed at the youth market with uh, very short, sharp races, Johnny. 
what are you trying to suggest that young people have short attention spans i suppose they might do in the modern era of social media and all that sort of thing indeed there's no room to get bored during a rallycross race is there and i think it's bra- it's brave from continental tires because mm. bear in mind you know this is multi-surface racing as well but it, mm. if they do well what a great statement they can make on their press releases that you know they're winning races on shale on asphalt on gravel uh, the series i believe starts in Louisville, Kentucky for this year so mm-hmm. you know being an American uh, manufacturer great to have the first round in this country um, I'm looking forward to what happens at Silverstone because sadly no more Lydon Hill yeah, I know. and the brand new track being built at Silverstone but uh, Rallycross is something that has exploded over the last three or four years again it's a place to be if you are manufacturing tyres just purely because the prowess that would come if you manage to succeed well, they will succeed because I think they're going to be exclusive in all of the categories in, in that particular uh, series, which includes the uh, Polaris RZR, RZR, as you would call it, the side-by-side racing that they have. Uh, they will have uh, the GRC lights will use the same tyres as, the, as the, the supercars. Televised on NBC, 12 rounds across eight events, and that's really important here. It's really too bad that Colin Brown and John Bennett managed to sneak in and out uh, before we could grab them because they've competed in that series as well. Um, But just thinking back to a few years ago, going to Uvalde, a thing that they hit on a lot, Continental did, was the fact that... that You need need to explain what Uvalde is. It's a place the size of Wales, isn't it? I think it's slightly larger, actually. (laughs) Their their, uh, oval track actually goes around the entirety of Wales. If you were to drop Wales in between, it would get lost. So it is, in fact, a circuit of Wales. But not in Wales, it's just around it. Well played. Thank you. Um, yes, Uvalde is their tyre development centre where they do real-life testing. So they've got, I think it was a 12-mile oval that they can just run cars around at endless length and speed that um, some illegal immigrants actually climb over the fence and then get confused because they think it's a highway. It's that large. There's, uh, there's actually signs in various languages, aren't they, saying yes. this isn't a highway, don't follow it, you'll just go round and round forever. Exactly. That this actually is a very slow grade. You'll notice that the sun is over there and then it's over there and two different spots and it's because the oval is that big. Mm. Um, but they have a great amount of off-road testing there. Yeah. They build an off-road tire. This is their perfect opportunity for them to break into an industry that, as you pointed out on NBC, they get great coverage to say to the world, hey, guess what, guys? We do this, too. It's, it's a phenomenal opportunity for Continental. And it's almost a switch because the former tire supplier was Michelin. So it's like they've... Yeah, through their BF Goodrich brand. Exactly. So yeah. they've just sort of done a, a swap around. I... I... I'm going to say this. I'm having a look round to see who's here. No, right. I'm going to say this. I don't think we've seen the last of Continental in this paddock. I just have a feeling that they are one of their partner brands. Who's here, of course, is theirs. Um, I, I just think we'll see them doing something. Now, at the moment, at the moment, there's only one category in the big show at IMSA that is non-exclusive, and that's GTLM. I... I I just wonder if we might see something there. Maybe not this year, but certainly not too far away. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. She Adam and John, Johnny Palmer with me, John Hindoff. We're in Marion's uh, getting ready for our race week. Uh, beautiful afternoon here in uh, Daytona. It was a little chilly when we came in this morning, about 14 degrees Celsius. What's that? That sort of high 50s. At 14 and a half, it said, on the S4, on the Audi S4s I came in. Um, is, is your BMW M6 G, uh, GT um, 
arguing with me? It was. It said uh, 47 degrees Fahrenheit. All right, okay, that's so, down under 10. Yeah, and uh, the steering wheel heater came on automatically as well as the seat heater. Seat heater was welcome, steering wheel heater was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, we'll talk in the second hour of the programme tonight uh, about the, the two huge races that we've got over the next two weekends for you, namely this weekend the Rolex 24 here at Daytona uh, we've also got, we're going to try and stretch the technology uh, and for that I need to be back up in the uh, in the booth um, we've got Richard Creel uh, joining us, Creelsy, uh, talking about the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours, uh, which is not this weekend but next weekend and all the three of us sitting here are making the uh, rest of the complete round the world trip to us oh actually Shay you go and come back so you don't go all the way around but Johnny and I are going all the way around uh, the, Johnny's going to be on more planes in the next two or three weeks than most people are in a year because he's flying all over Australia while he's down there um, making use of his time ah yes I remember when I was <laughs> young and wanted to do that sort of stuff as well um, I've, I've mentioned Liquid Molly there there is a story from the Daytona paddock about Liquid Molly as well, although it's it's although it's somebody that we work with, obviously uh, with Liquid Molly, Maguire's, and all those great brands down in Australia for the the Bathurst Twelve Hours. Um, it's a it's a completely different part of the organisation, different franchise, if you will. But we're going to see Liquid Molly in in the Conti Paddock. Uh, sorry, in the WeatherTech Paddock. Yeah, it's going to be with partnered with Tudor Bruce Morrison. Even if you didn't have anything to do with this, I applaud you and Liquid Molly as a whole as a brand. The BMW is uh, that we're used to Turner. You said Tudor. Turner. Yeah. Turner. We're used to seeing it yellow and blue, potentially with tacos on it, because yeah. we've been known to see that in the past. This year, it's white, red, and blue. Good colors for a for car. A, uh, good colors for a BMW as well. Good colors for a car running in the U.S. Daytona. Ah, I'm thinking good, yes. Brumos back yes, in the day. Very good. They got several. Not cars. a dissimilar uh, color scheme, actually. When you look at that now, you've said that that you know I think of the BMW M stripes, which is two colors of blue, red, and white. But you're right; it's much more more like Brumos. And you know, I can't come here without thinking about the deer departed Bob Snodgrass um, Dan Davis of course and, and the Brumos guys just up the road at, at Jacksonville um, they're not running 59 by any chance are they? No 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 <laughs> close to it though 96 All so right, they're only okay. one number wrong um, but they've got a good lineup for the weekend they've got Jens Klingman back in the car Martin Tomchuk so factory BMW driver being put in alongside Mark Fame who's another guy that you raced against at mm. uh, Coda who seemed to lose his headlights every other lap which was <laughs> amusing for him uh, Don- not when it was dark well, not when it was dark. That He lost it when it was dark, but it was not amusing then. Mm. Um, Don Yoon, also in the car. And then Cameron Lawrence recently announced, uh, very recently actually, I think it was about 24 hours ago that yeah. that happened. Cameron, who's won the race before, he's driven with Turner before, could be a potentially good combination. A dark horse, I think, for sure, for the race. The only BMW GTD car in the race. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, We'll come back to GTD. Remind me that we need to talk about that and that we need to talk about the changes that have seen, and, and Johnny was talking about this earlier on, about manufacturer involvement. There's changes in GT Daytona, the GT3 category uh, here for the Rolex 24. We'll talk about that in the second hour of the programme. Pick up on one or two other news lines here on Midweek Motorsport. And it, I mean, it's a busy weekend this weekend, Johnny, for World Motorsport because the World Rally Championship uh, is kicking off again in traditional style this weekend. Yes, the 86th running of the Rally Monte Carlo, no less. <laughs> um, I'm just reading actually about it, it, its route's been massively modified though from 2017. Mm. Um, half of the route going to be brand new so it's, it, I don't know what the weather's doing there at the moment I mean 
I always I look forward to the first two rallies of the year because there's obviously plenty of snow in Sweden mm. and there's often a lot Usually. of snow in Monte Carlo as well although recently uh, it's been less so and it, you know they've ditched the studded tyres and, and had to go with the often the, the straight slicks because it's been asphalt or gravel so and being on the right tyre at the right time on the Monte because um, there are some long sections where you can't really you, you know you got the wrong tyre on at the beginning but you might make up a shed load of time at the end if you're on the right and vice versa you could lose a lot of time if by the time you get to the snow you've worn out your snow tires yeah yeah exactly so i mean tire choice um but perhaps more so than any other rally is is so important as you say around uh, around the principality um sebastian low back yes (laughs) for citrus sorry can you say that properly sebastian Loeb. yeah very good very good is back for citrus um and Sebastian Ogier being mm. defending champion with Ford. I mean, it's a cracking season last year. I don't well, know that's a story many... right there, though, isn't it? I mean, that's a story right there. The two Sebastians go head-to-head. Yes. Last year, we saw a, a phenomenal season from the Fords of Malcolm Wilson uh, Motorsport um, with limited support from, from Ford. Um, they did a great job. That car will be quick again, I'm sure. Um, we've got... You know all the usual contenders in there. Toyota won a rally l- last year, and they'll want to be building on that success and be genuine, genuine contenders for the championship. Yeah, I, I mean, I just like the fact that although we, yes, okay, it's the same name on the trophy, another Sebastian at the end of the year, but we had so many different winners over a thirteen rally season, and still again got four manufacturers, four to back as, as manufacturer champions, as you say. Uh, the Hyundai i20 that's been a kind of staple mm. chassis for the last few years Toyota Yaris which just looks bonkers the amount of aero that these cars and has have. spawned a streetcar because Toyota Gazoo Racing now has its own line of uh, tuned special edition extreme Toyota streetcars the GR line is to Toyota as AMG as Quattro as M are to their parent manufacturers yeah yeah, and I mean, Gazoo. is that what's been missing? Do you think from a lot of people think that the small hatchbacks are not the right cars to be in because it's the car that your granny takes to the shops, and therefore it's not, for want of a better word, sexy enough. It's not um, drawing the car buying public to it. Well, with Gazoo, with the Gazoo Racing line, the GR line, Toyota are at least trying to bridge that gap and say, hey, look, rally, uh, buy this one. Yeah, I mean, you used to be able to get a Yaris, I remember, on Gran Turismo, and it was, the, it was the supermarket version, but then you could beef it up, and it sounded awesome. My version sounded superb. And, and that's what they're doing in World Rally now. You know, they stick a monstrous rear wing on it, huge front splitter as well, and they sound phenomenal. And they needed to track back from the days of the Impreza 22B, or whatever it was, and the, and the Lancer, the Mitsubishi Lancer. Because it got too expensive, and you know the four-wheel drive, it was just well. To follow up on your point from earlier on, don't forget Mitsubishi went from Group N to Group A, and were never as successful in Group A as yeah, they were yeah. with the showroom spec car that they ran in Group N for a long time, often taking overall victories. World rallying has changed; it's had to change. It, it had to change. We understand that. Um, for some of the traditional fans, it was a step too far. But speaking to people who went down to uh, Rally GB in Wales last year they felt that the excitement mm-hmm. and the draw for even some of the 
more traditional fans was coming back. I have to say, I missed it, but I, I know I've told this story before. I only realised it was on. I was riding back up from Stickers 4 um, on my motorbike and heard a local radio report about the prologue being on, the test day being on, the shakedown, that was the word I was looking for. And I thought, how have I missed that? Because that... And there is a gap to be filled here, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's... There's a little tear in my eye every time I hear you on Midweek Motorsport saying, do you know, I didn't know it was World Rally GB I, I, this no, weekend. I'm sorry. And... I mean, the information is out there should you choose to, to chase it and research it. But I agree that because it's not coming to you, something's not being done right. And it's not like, I mean, it's not like the good old days when everyone knew that uh, Rally GB was on because it toured the country. Um, I don't think there's a problem it all being restricted to Wales. We have, in recent years, had at least one stage outside of Wales. I think that, that they broke that two or three years ago um, when it went closer to Chester but wasn't it a great story to have Elfin Evans win yep. Rally G, you know Absolutely. a British winner for the first time in a long long time and they're doing something right still in the Rally Championship but it needs more work and I think making the cars like they are is a great first step We're here doing a global broadcast for Continental Tyres for Ferrari Challenge and for IMSA WeatherTech of course Endurance racing and its broadcasting has changed beyond compare in the last decade, possibly more. I've got to say, IMSA with the American Le Mans series, we're at the very forefront of that because at the very first Petit Le Mans, we were broadcasting on the internet, which nobody did in those days. And we've added vision to... There was an internet. Don't, don't you dare. Sorry, I was in grade two. Yeah, let's leave that for one moment. Um, it's changed beyond compare. Rallying, if you like, is also an endurance motorsport. Um, all right, it's split up into smaller stages, stints almost, if you will, if you want to relate that back to what we do. I note that for the Monte Carlo Rally this weekend, you or I or anybody in the world can watch every single stage live, but it's pay-per-view, and it's 75 quid. So that's over $100 for the one event. Now, I applaud that, and I accept that rallying by its very nature, being at lots of different places, is going to be expensive to televise. But I like the idea. I think it's going in the right direction. I think that's too much money. I agree. I agree. But, you, you, I mean, rallying above any other motorsport has to have good coverage because, as a fan, if you want to see it for real, then you're going to be on a stage and having no clue what's going on elsewhere on other stages. So that's the reason why a local radio station is so important. Well, we, we pioneered that on Wales Rally GB and, and got nominated for a Sony Award, which is the UK Radio Oscars. We didn't win it, but just being nominated was pretty good. I, I agree with you. It, the, the information flow has got to go backwards exactly. and forwards. And, but it needs to be accessible. And, and 75, did you say 75 pounds? I, mean, I think for, so, yeah. I mean, for the season, that's may maybe bearable, but per event, that's just ridiculous. Um, and I, I mean, you have to start it as. I mean, maybe there could be a section for for free view, which then teases you into the enhanced coverage. Um, but considering the audience doesn't appear to be great at the moment, and Formula One struggling for a new wave of audience as well. To get the kids on board, that's not going to work for me. This is going to sound very odd to you, Shea, but when I first started working on rallies and going to watch rallies before that, part of the fun was taking an ordnance survey map, a, a terrain map, and plotting the way that you could go between the stages and driving probably faster than you should, but we were all into rallying in those days and it was all na navigational-type rallying. And so you would watch the first 10 or 12 cars go through, then you'd jump, run back to the car, jump in, take your muddy boots off, jump in, put your driving shoes back on, drive across to the 
next bit of the stage that you could see or the next stage or two stages further down the road. And what would happen if you got there in good time is about 10 minutes before the start of the rally, somebody would come through, and there was a couple that did this in the UK, and in the back of their estate car or their SUV, 4x4s were probably called it in those days, um, they had... I was going to say a photocopier, I think it was probably a Xerox machine, and for those of you of a certain age, you will know what that is, and Johnny probably does, um, a precursor to a photocopier. Um, they would have two speakers on the roof, and they would call out who was winning the rally. In position number one is Carlos Sainz, in position number two is whoever, and if you were one of the marshals standing on the side, and I've done this, I used to be a stage commander on Lombard RSA rally, you would get a handful of sheets and pass them out to the spectators and of course you would have a look at it and go oh okay that's cool that was the information exchange in those days now I accept that rallying goes to some odd places and you might not be able to get internet but we need to move on from that and I don't even think that happens anymore now I mean it's so easy surely in the little spectator areas and there are dedicated spectator areas in the modern day rally you can't go where you want to go you're you know shepherded into the safe areas why not just stick up a wi-fi hotspot so that people can monitor it on the phones it, it, they've got to make it fan friendly they've got to make it user friendly and um they did in the it, you know they ran to the limits of the technology 30 years ago and we've moved on an awful lot since then so embrace it you do realize the irony of what you just described given where we are currently sitting we're in the middle of a racetrack where you can see every turn yep. from the grandstands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a very good point. I mentioned Carlos Sainz there. Um, I very nearly had to disqualify him and, and Carlos uh, and uh, Luis Moya, his co-driver from a, a rally in the middle of Kielder once for King Carlos, as he known, being a bit silly. Luis was much more sensible, and he, I didn't disqualify him from the rally. Um, his uh, second win in the Dakar just happened, and... Also hearing paddock rumours from Formula One is that uh, his boy, Carlos Jr., uh, is uh, likely to do a bit of rallying as well. In fact, there was a, a thought that he might do this Monty, but I don't think it's going to be this year, but it might be next year. That would be great. There's nothing like a father and son racing together. We almost had that this year at Daytona. There were rumours about Kevin Magnussen, albeit not in the Corvette, but being in the same race as Dad Yan. But uh, for Carlos to Sr. to go out and get a second one at the Dakar Rally with Peugeot, it's a very special week for him, and it shouldn't be overlooked by just ignoring everything else that's happening in the world. Because, as you said, rallying is hard to follow. Yeah. But congratulations to him. Yeah, and um, it would be great to see Carlos Per Efis, or whatever that is in Spanish, um, uh, in, a, in Toyotas, in matching Toyota GRs. Because you think of Carlos Sainz, I think of Toyotas. I think of the Castrol Toyota. I think of Carlos Sainz throwing that car around, be it the small hatchback or... Um, the Celica GT4, oh my God, that would be still my beating heart. The GT4 Special Edition Toyota Celica was the car that I always wanted to have. I drove one once and it scared the living whatnots out of me. Um, more from here at Daytona coming up uh, in the second hour of the programme. We've got time for one more story uh, before still to come. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to have a quick wander over to Marion and interrupt a conversation and very quickly I just want to have a quick word sorry to interrupt I want to have a very quick word before the end of the first hour of the programme with Marion Marion thank you for looking after us here at your hospitality uh, this week you're on Midweek Motorsport uh, on the uh, Radio Show Limited Network um, 
this is lovely. And it's, this has been set up since December, since the, the two-day test. That's correct. It went up the end of November, and we had a two-day test with all the teams, and uh, the tent company was kind enough to just say, let's leave it up. Please tell me you haven't been living here all over Christmas and New Year oh and the holidays. God. I went back to Rhode Island and suffered the snow and um, was happy to be home for a little while, and then we came back. Start of a new IMSA season here at Daytona. That's been the way of things for the last few years for you. No stranger to Daytona for the HSR events as well. How many years now for you yeah. doing this hospitality? Seems like it's 34, yeah, 34, and uh, going strong. And bigger than ever it would look this year. IMSA are on a real roll. The WeatherTech series looking very strong. Uh, we've got more cars in the Continental Series than I think we have had in, in, in recent years approximately how many people are you so you will you will know exactly actually i've said approximately but how many people are you catering for this week we've actually had more than we have this week at another time oh, really? uh, a few years ago we were lunches were about a, a 1500 <gasps> and uh, we're down 300 it's, it's only 1200 yeah it's only 1200 <laughs> now you you sit out here and you keep an eye on whatever's going on. Um, you know everything that's going on in this paddock. I know that you are sworn to secrecy about most things. Um, your team, tell me about your team. How many have you got here, and how's, the, how's all their hard work going? It, we have, I think, the best team we've ever had. And uh, we have a group of chefs that come from my hometown in Minnesota, oh, wow. Carleton, Minnesota. And uh, we all know each other's relatives, and I'm tickled that they're here and I can count on them. We also have hired a few local people that have been with us for a few years, and uh, they're outstanding. And my daughter, Sandra, who organizes all the meals and the pit service and the meal planning, she has started this months ago and we are so organized that we can't wait till the race begins well, it's, it's it's like the race teams ultimately once you get to race week there's not all the, all the hard work's gone on beforehand hasn't it that's correct all the planning the meal planning the purchasing of the things uh it's all done let's just get started Let's get started on the season as well. Marion, thank you very much. It's a great family atmosphere here for all of us, and thanks for looking after us again uh, for the 2018 season. You're quite welcome, and always good to see you. And you, Marion, thank you. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport from Daytona. It's the week of the Rolex 24 here, and we've got full coverage across the weekend, more hours than anyone else. Uh, This is Midweek Motorsport Series 13, Episode 3, and the second hour starts in just a moment. Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway. It's Midweek Motorsport from Daytona International Speedway, Series 13, episode number three. And coming up in the second hour of this afternoon's show, as it is here, just after four o'clock here at Daytona, just after three o'clock, sorry, just after nine o'clock in the UK. Uh, We've got all of the news and I look forward to this weekend with the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Share Adam and Johnny Palmer joining me in the IMSA broadcast booth looking down on the start-finish line here at Daytona. Got a bit more motorsport news uh, away from sports car racing as well with a bit of Formula One chat uh, and some airline news as well. But first, if the technology holds out, Richard Krill joining us to talk about the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hours. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. 
Well, it's that time of year again when we are getting excited uh, about our annual trip to Australia and to the mountain at Bathurst, to Mount Panorama. And that means that we have to have a word. We have to have a word with our Antipodean expert, Richard Creel. Creelsey, welcome back to Midweek Motorsport. John Hindoff, g'day. Is it too late to wish you a happy new year? I don't think so. No, it's not. Absol- absolutely no. not. And excitement building. We've got the Rolex 24 Daytona this weekend. That runs straight into the race week at uh, Mount Panorama for the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours, which, in fact, has taken... I mean, this is amazing. Because every year that you and I have had this conversation, we've said, well, the event's taken a step up since last year. And, you know, last year we thought we'd seen it all. This year, just a look at the 53 cars that are declared so far, we have taken another step up, haven't we? Yep, definitely. Uh, and, and I agree with you. And, and you and I have been doing this since 2013, this race. And I remember in 2013, it was very much the best field that we'd ever seen there. And then... 2014 we had that incredible finish and we weren't quite sure how we could top that and then a little Japanese driver by the name of Katsumasa Chio put on a show the next year and we had factory teams involved and um, then it went to another level in 2016 with the McLaren and the record-breaking laps of that year and then whatever it was that occurred in the final half an hour of the race last year I still haven't quite worked it out Uh, yeah and it it just gets better and better And, and this year while the numbers are pretty much on par where we've been for the last two years, which is to be expected, I think the depth in the field continues to get stronger. And Agreed. I think that reflects what's going on in GT3 racing around the world. And the pro-pro lineups are as tasty as any field of drivers combined that's been assembled in Australia in the last 30 years. Oh, it's it, it's an extraordinarily strong group of mm of racing talent and the teams involved as well. Uh, I, I mean, we will have a, a chat with you uh, for a, uh, a more detailed look in a, in a program uh, uh, on uh, RS1, uh, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels, um, a little closer to the event. Um, but you're right, because that uh, this is one of the few places where factories, works teams, can throw the kitchen sink at mm. their driver lineups um you know we've not long since been back it seems from uh from the Creventnik race at uh at the 24 hours of dubai where even in the pro part of it you've got to have at least one arm that's not the case here so it's basically don't just get out the big guns get out the huge guns and get out three or four of them yeah, and, and put your big guns sometimes in with AM drivers as well. So yeah, it adds another layer of complexity to the fight. So you've got these you know, these three-driver pro-pro-pro combinations with a combination of factory international aces and the Aussie supercar talent and international Aussie drivers as well. And then you've got some really tasty pro-am contenders that feature i mean there's a pro-am car with jamie Winkup in it who's the most successful australian racing driver the last 20 years see the pro and they're, they're the a pro-am car. uh yeah i think he might be the pro <laughs> i think he might be but but what i love about it is that the very nature of endurance racing at bathurst in particular often very brutal very tough a, a series of sprints interspersed by the occasional safety car it means that those cars, if they play their cards right, can continue to contend Great. on an outright level. And cast your mind back 12 months, we had 
the competition motorsport Porsche finished second outright. They won the Pro-Am class. They were as good a shot of winning that race in the last hour as anybody, um, thanks to some very good driving by the likes of Matt Campbell, Paddy Long and Mark Lee, along with the AM driver, David Calvert-Jones. So, And they had four drive-through penalties over the course of the day and two more pit stops than anybody else, and they still finished second. So it's one of those remarkably unpredictable races that just keeps throwing all the balls in the air and you see where they land. Yeah, agreed. Uh, And I would not be surprised, even with the quality that we've got at the sharp end of the field, 13 full pro uh, entries and almost the same amount of pro-arms as well. Uh, In fact, uh, yeah, 12 pro-arms, isn't there? Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a a, a pro-arm entry challenging certainly for a podium whether they'll be quite as close to the sharp end of the field but as you say a late race full course yellow and the safety car out could could mix it up and if you, you've got the right man behind the wheel in that dash to the flag as we know on the mountain anything can happen I'm, I'm delighted to see that the class C which is effectively GT4 really uh, has got a good and varied entry a lot of BMW M4 GT4s fairly new machinery some good drivers in that as well people uh, here in the States Kuno Whitmer uh, involved in uh, in one of them with Cameron Lawrence uh, Matt, Matty Brabham I noticed there with uh, Young Tony Longhurst, Anthony Longhurst, and yeah. Alan Seaton. That's going to catch me out, of course, uh, yeah. through, the, through the race. Janetta Australia getting right behind that class as well. And if there's one place that I think there's room for expansion still in the Liquid Molly 12 Hours at Bathurst, I think it's it's GT4. Yeah, I agree with you. And and there's you know one of those BMWs is entered by. BMW Team SRM, the, the Australian factory representative for GT racing. So there's manufacturer input into that side as well as the GT3 category, which I think is great to see. You know, the Janetta arm has factory backing. The KTM team has gone to two cars after running one last year, and they've got two very competitive outfits. So the race within a race is going to be really strong. The the Class B battle, which is for 911 GT3 Cup cars, is um, – probably stronger than it's been for the last year. And and there's a couple of very tasty cars there. And then the invitational class, the Mark Cars Australia entry continue to duplicate. I don't know what they've got in the water up there in Queensland, (laughs) but they just keep, keep popping them out. Um, And they've got their generation two car, which will make its debut global debut at Mount Panorama. So just a variation on the theme, more grunt, better aero. Um, It's more of a serious race car uh, and will lap with a 206 minimum lap time compared to the 210 for the existing cars. So, you know, th- those things are going to be interesting. You know, conceivably, you pan around all day, and if you can do a 206.5 for, you know, 270 laps of Bathurst, you're going to end up up in the top 10 so yeah. they could have a, a conceivably a pretty decent day and great to see Keith Kasilke back uh, as well after that nasty yeah. uh, fiery accident he, he's been back in the uh, in the Creventnik series throughout the 2017 season and good to see him back uh, there as well um, as I say we'll talk in detail in another programme uh, what is it about the individual entries uh, and, and what your thoughts for the race is what do you think is driving the rise and rise of this race. I mean, eventually it's got to top out. Uh, well, I, I say that, does it? I'm not sure. <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of ticket sales, it, last year we opened up the top of the mountain for for uh, count, uh, camping for the, the first time in this race's short history. What is it that is capturing the motorsport public's imagination in Australia about the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours? 
Well, I mean, that's the million dollar question, and I quite literally. And I think if we had an answer to that, uh, we'd we'd be geniuses, and it would grow even faster. I, I think it's a combination of things. I, I think it's such a different platform to what we're used to seeing at Mount Panorama. So it's such a different format event to the iconic Bathurst 1000 in October. And but but what it does is it complements it beautifully. It is just such a contrast that. There's very little crossover between the two in the style of those events. The atmosphere at the racetrack is very different. I think the accessibility of the 12-hour is something that has really drawn fans in. So um, probably comparing supercars to Formula 1, you wouldn't do that. But from an access point of view, it's quite similar. No, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Paddock access. There's a lot of corporates. You can't get to the pit roof. You need a separate ticket to get to the top of the mountain or you buy your grandstand seat and you sit there for four days. Whereas the 12 hour, you can rock up, you one ticket, GA, the whole way around the circuit. You can get to the back of the garages. We all know how friendly these GT3 teams are. I remember the first year M Sport came down with the Bentleys. Um, One fan messaged me and said he, he could not believe that M Sport, one of the best race teams going around, World Rally Champions, factory Bentley team, you know, could quite easily get away with being, you know, a bit self-involved and a bit high and mighty that they're pretty bloody good at their job, but invited these people into their garage, gave them the tour of the car and couldn't be more welcoming. And this was the factory Bentley Team M Sport. So I think there's that aspect of it. And then I think the on-track product as well and the sheer variety of the field, which is really a nod back to the history of Mount Panorama in particular with class racing, whole different group of cars, so they're, they're probably the two main ones. But I think increasingly, I think our local fans, especially the real hardcore supercar fans, really enjoy seeing the likes of a Craig Lowndes or a Jamie Winkup that I mentioned before be benchmarked against some of the best drivers in the world. Because yeah. for 360 days of the year, they're racing each other in machinery that doesn't get driven anywhere else in the world. So this is a really good indication. And probably injects a bit of pride, more pride, into the local motor racing industry as well because our blokes are pretty good. Yes, yes, they are. Uh, very good. Very good indeed, and that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, you, you're involved in uh, the, the PR and the promotion of the event for the other 51 weeks of the year, Creelsey. Have you mm. found a difference when placing stories, when writing your press releases, when getting... Uh, questions being asked from publications, from broadcasters. I mean, Seven Sport do a, cr- a cracking job um, and have done for some time now in the broadcast, in the broader broadcast sense. But are you seeing a, a little more interest? Are you seeing a little more depth of interest in, in this event from the slightly less specialist side of, of Australian press? Yeah, I think so. And and that's, to be fair, that's the effort that a lot of the event has gone to. And and we've received a little bit of criticism from the hardcore 12-hour and GT fans that there's been too much focus on the likes of Craig Lowndes or a Jamie Winkup or a Scott McLaughlin. But um, in our defense for that, that's our opportunity to yeah. educate this media about GT racing as a medium and a, as a category because in Australia and supercar racing in particular – the, the drivers are very much the brands. It's a lot like NASCAR in that respect. Correct. So you've got to play to your brand strengths and then you can do some education about 
what the race is about. So we've already had two drivers on Channel 7 Sunrise program, which is breakfast TV in Australia. Um, rates about 350, 400,000 people nationally every morning. Um, so we've had two major driver announcements on that. There'll be a few more to come. They're going to do a piece in the race week leading up to it. So that opens it up to a very a broader market. Yeah. Um, and more and more, the daily newspapers are starting to to grab it and go, oh, this is actually interesting. There's some compelling storylines that from a quote-unquote tabloid point of view that are, are starting to be sold. I mean, we got lots of coverage around the fact that Craig Lowndes and Scott McLaughlin will be driving in the same team at the 12-hour <laughs> and a pair of YNA Autosport McLarens. And if anyone follow the end of the Supercar Series last oh, yeah. year, you'll know that those two are involved in one of the most controversial moments in Australian motor racing history. So um, there's a bit of a laugh about that. But that's that's all stimulating coverage. And um, and then the, the other side to it is the involvement of the brands. Um, and there's a lot of power in a Bentley Australia sending out a release going, hey, we're running a factory team in this race, yeah. you know, give us some love. And, and the same goes for Audi and Mercedes AMG in particular have been amazing this year. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's growing. It's no, all pointing in the right direction. No, and, and, and I understand that. With due respect to Le Mans winners overall, Guy Smith, uh, we've got Earl Bamber in there who's also won Le Mans. You know, big names for sports car and endurance racing enthusiasts, mm. but... Um, and, and this is no disrespect to either side of that, not as big as a supercar driver um, in, in Australia because they're on the telly every other weekend during the motor racing yep. season and, and they are marketed and they do have their face on breakfast cereals, as you said, like the, the NASCAR model. So, yeah, com- completely agree with that. Has has the rise and rise of, of this race, which... Uh, was a bit of an outpost as far as GT and endurance racing was concerned internationally uh, in Australia. Mm. Has that helped Aussie GT? Because that's been on a bit of an upswing as well. And, and is that a bit of a virtual, uh, a virtuous um, uh, circle that is, is beginning to, to get a bit of momentum, Creelsey? Uh, y- yes and no. Uh, and you and I had a, a lengthy involved discussion on this show Oh, probably August last year from memory about some of the, the stuff that was going on in Australian GT. And um, the, the problem, uh, the problem's the wrong word to use. The issue has always been that Australian GT has been promoted by a completely separate mob. So unlike a, a SRO that promotes the Blancpain series, the Spa 24 and all those major GT3 events, Australian GT has had an affiliation with the 12-hour, but they don't have any involvement in the ma- in the management, the operations, the BOP, any of that. Um, so there's, there's always been a separation, and that probably was exacerbated slightly when Supercars Australia and their events division took over the event prior to 2016. Um, so Australian GT has got its issues, and we'd need another hour-long show to bring you up to speed with <laughs> with where all that's going. Um, but what I think it has done is is by giving it some flow-on visibility. So because this, the 12-hour is shown on free-to-air TV, because it gets all this media coverage that we've been talking about, to the general motor racing punter, I think it's probably helped go, oh, GT cars are a thing here, oh, I saw that McLaren at the 12-hour or I saw mm-hmm. that Ferrari that won the 12-hour last yep. year racing at Albert Park at the Grand Prix or at a GT round at Winton or something like that later in the year. And I think just by association, it has created awareness. Probably hasn't helped the actual competitor numbers, but from an awareness point of view, I think visibility-wise, it's probably helped. 
Um, final question for you, and uh, this is a tough one, but are we going to see that magic uh, <laughs> magic number uh, on qualifying day or even maybe on an oh. early lap through the race? Are we going to see that two-minute barrier broken? I really bloody hope so. Um, look, I, We're being I, close. I don't know, and we have, um, and, and it's so weather-dependent now. Correct. So the surface, Bathurst was resurfaced in 2014 ahead of the uh, Bathurst 1000 that year. Um, so it's a brand-new surface. It, it's had a couple of years to bet in. 2016 were the best weather conditions I've ever seen at that place. It was high 20s, bright sunshine, so there was plenty of UV in the surface, but it wasn't so hot that the turbo cars struggled and the tyres went off quicker. Um, that was magic. I remember calling the shootout last year that we had a little bit of cloud cover come over before the yeah. last three cars run and times dropped by a second. Yeah. And Tony Volander ultimately did that brilliant 202.5 to get pole, but that was still 1.2 seconds behind Van Gisbergen's lap the year before. So what we need is the weather to play the game and we need a really, really nice Saturday. Don't worry about what happens on Friday or Sunday. Really nice Saturday, high 20s, Bit of sunshine, bit of cloud, and um, yeah, plug a Van Gisbergen or uh, I don't know Van Thor in the Porsche or someone like that in to uh, to go on the shootout at uh, about five o'clock in the afternoon, and it could go, it could go. We could see the first two minute lap, maybe the first sub two minute lap. The teams say it's possible, so I can only but believe them. No, I, and and I've seen data from a couple of teams. I, I I won't say who for obvious reasons that reckon it's on. And it was on, certainly it would have been on last year. They certainly think it's on this year. Um, it will depend who the top teams put in their cars uh, for it. And, and and thereby hangs a tail in some respects. And that's why I look forward to Saturday, because it's so pure. It's one of those yeah. great things. The question for all of the teams will be who have this in their armoury. Do you put the guy who knows the circuit, the V8 the supercar, uh, Australian supercar star in um, mm. to qualify? Or do you put the guy like an Earl Bamber in who knows the car and knows the track? Or is it a Kevin Estra or a Lawrence Vanter? I mean, that, which one of them three do you put in yeah. to, to qualify? Because oh, two of them going to be miles, really it? cheesed off. You know, yeah, exactly. I know. yeah they'll, they'll all believe that they've all got the capability to do that sub two-minute lap. But there, so there's nearly 30 GD3 cars in this race. I, I think 23 of them, at a cursory <laughs> glance, have a driver capable of getting that car into the shootout. Yeah. So that that's ridiculous. It's gonna the, the battle in qualifying will will just be watching 10th and 11th place. Yeah. So whoever's on the bubble there to get into that shootout, get that valuable three minutes of dedicated TV time on your car, that opportunity to have that 6.2k circuit to yourself. Um, that's going to be one of the more compelling battles of the whole weekend and, and really worth watching. And remember, the race has never been won from outside the top 10, so it's still valuable to qualify there. Correct, correct. Uh, and we'll have it all live on RS1 every single session. And then we pick up with our colleagues at uh, Seven Sport, Channel 7 Sport, Creelsey, Johnny Palmer and me with the Hall of the Race uninterrupted for you international uh, viewers and listeners and on the telly in Australia as well. I'm not sure how that actually happened and they gave over some of their national airwaves uh, to me, but I, I, I'll, I'll take it and I enjoy it. Creelsey, can't wait, to, can't wait to see you next week, Mick. Have a good travel. See you soon. It's a pleasure. Thanks, John.
Great to hear Crailsy on the show and we'll be airing a full preview. Crailsy and me talking more about the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours and that I think is going to be on Sunday once we're finished with the Daytona, the Rolex Daytona 24 hours. Keep an eye on RadioLamont.com uh, and or is it Monday? I'm uh, possibly hearing from Tim now. Keep an eye on the uh, the website and on the social media and we'll let you know uh, when that one it'll be on RS1 uh, anyway and of course the whole of our uh, the whole of our coverage from Bathurst uh, which is starting well actually this time next week we'll be doing midweek motorsport from Bathurst that's actually quite scary for me to say that uh, Nathan and the guys setting up the booth for us uh, down there we're in the booth overlooking the newly painted Daytona flag symbols and Daytona the word on the same design of grass cutting uh, that was here for the Raw. And I think I said then in the broadcast, the first time I've been here and not seen the word Daytona painted uh, on here, uh, whether I've been here for the uh, Paul Revere 250 and the uh, the stock car races or indeed for the, uh, for the endurance races, uh, the representation within the grass, which is brilliant, it is that that is on the Daytona 500 trophy, the same car that's on the Daytona 500 trophy, which evokes the old speed record cars from uh, back at the, the start of Daytona's history. And it's something that you always think about. That is the trophy that every stock car driver wants mm. to hold. The championship is one thing, but winning the Daytona 500, that's what gets your name in the history books and the hearts and minds of people. I mean, think about Trevor Bain as a perfect example. That's not exactly a household name, but everyone remembers when he was 21 years old and somehow managed to cross the line first, winning that trophy. Just standing here as we are now, and, you know, my when we came up, uh, upstairs and up, up in the lift actually I, I was just thinking to myself this is one of the greatest stadia sports stadia in the world Johnny you and I love football we love all stick and ball sports but the view that we have here the facilities that we have here is quite extraordinary and, and we were very honoured to be the first ever live broadcast from this new facility, mm. from where we're standing now. This is it's forever to be known as the IMSA Radio Broadcast booth. Yeah, and it was quite nice for me to actually, my first year at Daytona was now three years ago, 2015, and that was the last year of the old grandstand. Yes. So we were in a diff, slightly different location from where we are now. And then 16, coming back after Daytona Rising, brand mm. new grandstand. I mean, this thing is fast. You look from left to right and, you know, you can see it virtually all the way up to the to turn four, speedway turn four, and then in the other direction down towards turn one as well. It kind of makes it seem much smaller than it is. And I often have to, during this weekend, go down to ground level and realise that this place is fast. But, it, you know, being up here at this great height, you can see everything. But when we were uh, down on the other side at, at Marion's, as we, we came out to jump in the car and, uh, and come round, um, a bit of radio wizardry with a bit of pre-record of the still to come, just looking um, this way to see this place is, is quite extraordinary. Um, talking to Creelsey there about the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours, um, as I say, will be in 
our broadcast booth there this time next week as our global odyssey continues. We're not the only ones, us three here, not the only ones making that uh, trip uh, to the mountain and to the uh, the great endurance race on the mountain. Last year, there was a spattering of drivers, a few that were coming along. I think we were on the same plane as um, Matthias Lauda and Pedro Lamy of Memory mm. Serves. Now we've got 20 drivers, 20 drivers doing wow. both. That's a substantial amount. Can you either push your chair down or should I push mine up? Hang on, I'll bring mine up a bit. I feel a bit infected like that. Um, that was the way that was. She looks down on him and he looks down. Look it up if you're not sure. Sorry, go ahead. I'm not sure, so I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, 20 different drivers, um, not necessarily all on the same cars, but it just shows the global reach that the Bathurst 12-hour has. And I guarantee you a majority of the drivers here who aren't going to be making the trip will be watching the race as well. Sorry, I've just stolen the... (laughs) We're all friends. Put it over there somewhere. Stolen. I'll label it. You've stolen my drink. Yes, I have. I have. Um, Let's let's move on. Um, Before we talk about the uh, IMSA WeatherTech series, um, you mentioned Matthias Lauder here. I have a Lauder story. Do you? Yes, I have. I have a Lauder story. Um, Can you speak up? (laughs) Lauder? (laughs) <laughs> That's a classic old joke, isn't it? it is. That's a classic. Never, cla- gets tired. Never <laughs> get tired. Um, this is a business story, actually. We've got a couple of business stories. So this falls under business news, part one of our business news. Um, we, those of you with long memories might remember Louder Air, which I always thought, you know, looked good on the side of a plane, but when you said it, Louder Air, it, it's just Gonna have, you're going to have problems with people complaining about noise, aren't you? Straight away. Louder air. Fly louder air. No, I'd rather fly quieter air. Thank you very much. Um, well, that um, was, I think, was taken over by Air Berlin. And then there was a new uh, airline uh, subsidiary of Air Berlin called Nikki. Air Berlin had its problems last year uh, and went into administration. Um, I, I think Nikki Louder founded Nikki. Um, in 2003, actually, so it is going back further than, than I thought. Anyway, long story short, it it's, uh, looks like, in fact, it has been confirmed. Where does I read this? This is in Deutsche Welle, in the business side of things, that uh, Nicky Lauder has been chosen by the assets of Nicky, the airline, um, preferred over the Anglo-Spanish group IAG Vueling. Now, that those are the people who own... Um, Iberia and British Airways. Um, The third offer the former Formula One champion had made since September. Uh, At the end of a transparent tender, how could you read what was on it? That's what I want to know there. Louder came out early in the morning as the best bidder, administrators said in a joint statement, although presumably they said that in either, um, in in some European language other than English. Uh, They had emphasised day-to-day reference there. Did he really say that? Um, Emphasised the need for a swift green light from the authorities in Austria and Germany. Um, IAG um, announced in December, I think, uh, as part of Air Berlin's liquidation, that they were purchasing 15 A320 aircraft, a portfolio of what are described here as attractive slots owned by Nikki. You see, that just doesn't work either, but I know what they mean. Um, 740 of the 1,000 employees would go over as well, but the whole bidding procedure was relaunched in mid-January. Austria decided it fell under its remit because the head office of the airline, Nikki, was located there. Uh, Germany's flagship carrier, Lufthansa, wanted to buy the 
uh, airline mainly specialised in holiday charters, um, along with large parts of Air Berlin, and they had to abandon plans because of EU competition concerns. Now, that's the story. However, which is great, and good for Nicky Lauda, give him something to do, rather than just turning up and making profoundly sweeping statements at all the Formula One. I'll say that in lieu of Nick Damon not being here. Yeah, fair enough. And it's a good job Nick Damon isn't here because I'm now going to ask you, what do you think they are going to call this new airline? Johnny. Um, it's been called Nicky yes. and Louder Air, right? So what do you reckon? I have no clue. Um is it more references to to the volume of uh, potentially the flight? I'm, I'm not. I'm not giving you any any clues. Any at all. clues. Sorry, that's a poor effort. I don't know. Sure. Don't know. Any ideas? If you were advising Nicky Lauder um, on the the name for his new airline, what would it be? Aramatius. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. That's interesting. I, I like that. Keeping it in the family. Pick your favorite kid. Pick your favorite kid and name it after them. Okay. Uh, uh, people on Twitter saying at Spectatement saying F1 Air. Maybe yeah. you know there's a, there's a there's a lot less uh, there's a lot less uh, regulation now with liberty being involved a lot more liberty in fact from them it's not the old Bernie days um, some with a couple of people rather mischievously saying Bernie Air very good we we used to call Bernie Air the, the fleet of planes that that flew all the uh, TV people everywhere no no one is going to get this unless you know it's going to be called Louder Motion. Which immediately made me think of the 1962 hit by Little Eva covered by Kylie Minogue of the locomotion. And if Nick Damon would be here, he would be singing that in the background right now. Louder motion. Listen Listen very carefully. Even from this distance. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Come on, baby, do the louder motion. Or come on, Nicky, do the louder motion. (laughs) Hmm. So that's our first business news story. They're shaking their heads in front of me here. Midweek motorsport. Um, second bit of business news involves the paddock that we're looking down on now. Share, um, I picked this up from the business pages yesterday, I think on Monday. Um, it, it, this is uh, a bit of news that potentially could affect one of the teams here, that team being uh, Tequila Patron ESM who are the title sponsors of that team. Ed Brown, of course, manager, the CEO of uh, Patron Spirits, I think is the is the group, is the, is the name there. Not just uh, tequila, but they do very nice premium vodka and rum and orange liqueurs and all sorts. And EXO, which is the uh, chocolate liqueur uh, with tequila in it as well, which makes a great cocktail when you mix it with uh, iced cappuccino or something like that. Um, and in the interest of science, I've tried them. I, I just, you know, I just I throw myself out there to do that sort of stuff. Um, now, that company has had for some time had an interest in it, about 30%, owned by the Bacardi Group, famous for rum, uh, originally founded in Cuba, and then the family had to flee Cuba and uh, now set up and effectively running out of Miami, which is not too far away from you. And news coming through on Monday that the whole of the Patron Group has now been acquired by Bacardi, valuing the group at... Well, this individual purchase was for $5.1 billion. So, Sorry, say that again? $5.1 B billion. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, just... There's money in tequila. Just just a little. <laughs> I mean, George Clooney sold his brand for a billion, so, of course, Bacardi has to make it five times better, which Patron 
arguably is than the other one. Um, not going to give them a sponsor plug at all. But right. for Patron, this is a big moment because it means that their product can now be sold worldwide. And that's what the whole thing was about. Bacardi saw that high dollar tequila is a massive asset right now, be able to sell it to every country in the world instead of the whatever it is, 15, 20 that they're in now. And, and interestingly enough, of course, the reason that Ed took ASM Tequila Patron into the World Endurance Championship was working on the model that they had perfected, one might say, using one of their uh, advertising slogans, uh, by utilising the motor racing market and sampling and uh, the paddock club style of presentation here. It took that to the WEC for a couple of years. They didn't have a lot of luck uh, and success in the racing, but in fact took the product to some new marketplaces. And I would absolutely think, and unfortunately we haven't been able to catch up with with uh, with Ed in this early part of the week. I do believe he'll be here at the weekend. Um, I'm sure he'll say that that played a part in this. And, and effectively what that means is that Bacardi will use its distribution uh, licenses around the world and have added Tequila Patron and the brand's under the Patron Spirits Company as uh, they basically added them into their portfolio. Exactly. And Patron being simply perfect, they saw this opportunity to sell to a company that they know, and they're not exactly selling because Ed is still CEO. It's still still the same people in charge. So that's not changing in that perspective. They're just adding to the brand. And if you can get under the umbrella of a company like a Bacardi, you do it. uh, Nobody in the business press, um, reasonably enough, has asked about... Um, the question that everybody now is going onto their Twitter feed to say what happens to ASM, what happens to the Patron sponsorship, what happens to the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup. The answer is at the moment we don't know. Those deals are in progress and presumably we can ask Ed if we see him this weekend. Yeah, and, and think about it this way. There's not a great deal of advertising done in motorsports in particular by alcohol brands. You've got Patron with such a strong foothold in IMSA. It's a great advertising platform for them. And when they win races, it's the back page of the New York Times. Uh, and it's they've got a brand now that's insta- instantly recognizable, a livery that lime green and black with the Patron B. Well, we, we're going from the Patron B to the Bacardi Bat, of course, um, and you know, but it is a very strong imagery in in the paddocks here, and and they've got a good. I mean, the race team's got a good following, be, not necessarily because of the alcohol sponsorship, but people can relate to those black and bright green cars. Exactly, and Bacardi's more of a, a red and black, so we yeah. don't have to worry about the liveries crossing over. Okay. But it is a very strong platform for them to use and hopefully utilize well because they've already got something that's established, as you were saying, like the colors are well-known and all that. Mm. But this industry, they've got a foothold. So I don't see Patron relinquishing that anytime soon or Bacardi being okay with that position being relinquished. Um, whilst we're talking about alcohol brands in motor racing, one of the ones that down through the years has done it very well is Martini. Uh, they're tied into Formula One as we head into some more news. Um Martini, of course, and, and Nick Damon's been talking about this for a while. Williams, Martini Williams Racing, uh, they've plumped for a young driver. He's under the 25 years old that Martini likes to have uh, in, in terms of their advertising. But, of course, Robert Kubica is the reserve driver, Johnny. And uh, this week, Williams Chief Technical Officer Paddy Law says uh, Robert 
Kubica could be given a race seat in 2019. So these short-term contracts that they've got with their two drivers might mean that uh, the Polish driver could be back in. He impressed in the test. He did nothing wrong. Mm. Um, he, I think, proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is still very capable behind the wheel. I do, yeah, I, indeed. And I don't think that was ever um, in the balance, I suppose. Obviously, coming back from a catastrophic injury uh, in that rallying accident. But he, I think he made his... Uh, Second debut, if you like, coming back after that, uh, that uh, injury by racing in the Creventic series, or he, he did some he racing. Did. Uh, he raced in one of the Renault RSO1s, didn't he? Yes, that's right. And it was in Mugello, I think, from memory. Um, somebody that's a very there. good. Uh, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was Mugello because I wasn't there. I've never been to Mugello. Still, that, I've got to let Sorry that go. Sorry to rub that in yeah. again. Um, but yeah, I mean, sadly, the car. Either he tied really on it early on in the race, or they had an issue with it in qualifying, which meant he didn't do any of the race. But um, showed promise certainly in practice, and well, we were hoping that we might be able to adopt him into the endurance racing field. But it looks like then uh, that his options haven't been completely cut for for Formula One. So yes, he's not on the entry list for 2018, but they, the team do seem to be keen on at least continuing contacts with him and maybe maybe offering him a deal for 2019, as you say. It would be great to have him back. Uh, I sat in front of him coming back from Bahrain in 2016 after he tested the World Endurance Championship uh, P1 car uh, there and um, had a very sensible chat with him. Smashing guy and uh, would love uh, love to see him back. Force... Oh, hello. That's a bit scary. Um... That was the, uh, if you heard that in the background, that was the Daytona promo video, which starts with um, uh, my voice on it, which uh, put me off slightly. Um, Force India, name change. Um, what, uh, 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 we asked about Louder Air. You were, mm, you were, no. you know, so what, what, what would you change Force India's name to then? Uh, force of Nature. Oh, you see, I quite like that. I quite, I quite like that. Shea? Force? Use the force. Use the force. Well, force is staying, uh, according uh, to their uh, chief operating officer, Otmar Schaffner. Crucial for Force India to take advantage of the current commercial opportunities in the near future, with the team keen to expand its factory and run the whole team from a single facility. Um, So the India part of the name might well be dropped, although there's an opportunity to be Force something else, depending on their sponsors. Now, as far as I'm aware, the BWT, the pink livery from the water purification company who are gradually taking over everything in, in motorsport, Biosmosis. it would seem. Oh, biosmosis. Very good. Yes, very good indeed. Um, um, that's staying. So whether it will be Force BWT, uh, Water Force, uh, Pure Force, Force Pure, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, they need to do that, I think, before... The Barcelona test, um, I suppose, when the entry goes in uh, as well, is quite important. Um, Earlier on, by the way, I I checked, earlier on, um, we talked about Carlos Sainz going into rallying. He is going to be driving in the Monte Carlo rally uh, this year. However, he's not competing. I I knew I'd seen something about this somewhere. Uh, his father's won the rally three times, and 
uh, on the final day of the rally, he's going to tackle the 13.5-kilometre La Cabinette Col de Braus power stage, driving the new Renault Megane RS. And effectively, he is the course car, a VIP course car, uh, doing the stage checking. And uh, he said, ever since I was a small boy, no, he didn't, but he's close to. I'm really looking forward to experiencing Rally Monte Carlo for the first time, said Sainz Jr. I've heard so much about it from my dad, uh, how difficult the stages are, how the conditions can change in an instant from snow to rain to bright sunshine. And you need nerves of steel for some of those mountain passes and hairspin. We wish wish him the best uh, on that. Uh, bit of Formula One news there. And there's a couple of other stories I want to do uh, as well. Um, this is classic uh, from this. Um, the research group on making Formula One more of an on-track spectacle have prioritised three areas for future rule changes. Okay? Right? Now, we are not in the hallowed halls of the Formula One working group. No, we're not. So as layman outsiders, what would you say the three areas might have been? Um, uh, turbo boost. Yes, engine. I'll give you that. Okay. Um, let's say how the car is is uh, suspension. Yes, suspension. Very good. Yes. Uh, and what's the other thing that everybody honestly that you could bump into someone on the street who knows nothing about motor racing? What's the thing that affects particular single seater racing more than anything else, and and is an impediment? overtaking is it john ground effect well, yes it is aerodynamics i'm oh, going to give you that is that so, the same thing it is pretty much have you not read adrian newey's book really uh yes so you're absolutely right uh, three areas uh, are um that they are looking at um ross braun technical chief uh he's created a team tasked specifically with shaping the future of the formula and uh, they have to address the fact that they lost in uh, 2017 half the number of overtakes. And last year we had the biggest gap between the front three teams and the rest of the field than we'd had for very long times. I really must turn that down. Uh, I, I have no clue what's going on. Stop it. Stop it. Go away. Ah! Uh, Function. That one. Turn it down. Down, 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 down. Okay. Um, and uh, finally, Esther. Uh, Boy, Tim's getting really mad. Oh, yes. Yes, he is. Uh, oh, I don't believe it. Right, hang on. Just let me turn that down. Go away. Go away. Thank you. Um, who said this week that Fernando Alonso could have won more than two World Drivers chat? titles but there's always a mess wherever he is who said that fernando alonso <laughs> no <laughs> no but i like you thinking it wasn't brea tory was it no it wasn't oh, very good you thinking uh, rent a quote uh former world champion slightly disgraced son stay away from the walls stay away from the oh, walls um Yes, uh, PK. Yes, Nelson PK, um, and uh, was quite uh, critical in uh, on the Checkered Flag uh, website in, in the UK uh, via La Sexta, saying uh, that Alonso is uh, 
it, it, he feels it's not a coincidence, effectively, that wherever Alonso goes, there tends to be unrest in the team. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, certainly he didn't get on with Lewis, although, um, you know, Lewis didn't get on with um, Nico either. So, you know, you could look at that both ways. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad or a good thing. I don't make any value judgments there. Um, but it's extraordinary, isn't it, that a man as talented who has been for pretty much all the time that he's been in Formula One, has been the best driver, has only got two world championships. And, and, and part of that is not being in the right car at the right time. Yeah, and I mean, it's been an awful long time since those championships. Was it 05 and 06? Um and, you know, there's, a, there's been an awful lot of water under the bridge since then. He's always struck me as a thoroughly nice chap. I, you know, I don't know him personally. I hope to meet him this weekend. But uh, Shay, I'm sure, has met him a couple of times now. Uh, I waved at him at uh, Marion's this morning. I waved as he walked yeah, in. Really? Yeah. There we go. And, uh, I mean, you're not, no one's in sport to make friends. So if there is an issue with getting on with teammates, I don't see that as a problem particularly. You've got to be ruthless in this, in this line of work. Um, He's phenomenally fast. And the thing I love about him is he doesn't just want to do Formula One. It's mm. harking back to the good old days where you did endurance racing, you did the Indy 500, you also did Formula One. Uh, and rallying as well, if you were Vic Elford, and, and probably yeah. lots of other things. Jim Clark did touring cars, of course, lots of catinas and stuff like that. I, I love that, that, that sort of attitude. That brings us nicely back after that other news to what's going on here at the weekend as we are looking down on a paddock that is pretty much sorted uh, now um, for the main championships. Ferrari Challenge here with two races this weekend. The Continental Tires uh, Sports Car Challenge we've talked about in the first part of this Midweek Motorsport and the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship going from strength to strength, as we said with Marion uh, before we came over here to the IMSA broadcast booth. A year that, frankly, you could pick any one of the big stories that happened towards the end of last season and through the close season, Shane, say, you know, that's a big story. But we've had half a dozen big stories. Uh, Mazda going away and coming back. Mazda coming back with Yost and seeing the words Yost Racing, Mazda Yost Racing on clothing for the first time this week is extraordinary. Uh, BMW uh, challenging with a car that they'll be taking to Le Mans, which is making its debut here this weekend and will be uh, getting unveiled. It's, it's new... Uh, livery will be getting unveiled later on this evening. In fact, as soon as I'm finished here, I'm going over to do that uh, down at a, a beachside hotel uh, here at Daytona. Uh, you've got Penske back with Honda. I mean, all of these are huge stories. And then add in, as Johnny says, you know, um, Fernando Alonso, Lance Stroll, all these guys coming over to have their experience of endurance racing in Daytona. Well, and the big story that hasn't really been talked about yet because it's not right in front of us, we're not staring at timing screens and realizing it, we only have 11 returning driver pairs from yeah. last year. So there's been a lot of mix-up, a lot of drivers that we've associated together for three, four, five years. All of a sudden, they're split. We're going to be seeing people who have been teammates for many years. Even think Ricky Including and- brothers, of course. Yeah. Ricky and Jordan Taylor have split up. I, I kind of feel for them a little bit, but I wonder if it might actually not be the worst thing for them taking the pressure off because there's so many other big stories. It's not always going to be the first question. Uh, you're not driving with your brother this year. 
yeah, I, I don't think it'll even be a question, really. Mm. By the time the race is over, it's going to be one of you can win. How do you beat your brother? That might be the question, but it's not so much learning a new teammate because everything has changed. For Ranger Van de Zanda, actually, it's more of a story than it is for Jordan or Ricky because yeah. Ranger is coming into a new team where this familiarity has been so established. He's not even worried about it, though. He's cool, chill. He's got his little girl here. We've got all throughout the field, think about GTD. Our champions in GTD are split as well. Mm. In GT Le Mans, we have Corvette Racing and Ford. They have brought their driver pairings back as were last year. Yes. Every other one is different. We'll stick with prototypes for the moment. Some key changes in terms of balance of performance after the homologation test and the raw. Chief among those is a change that was made outside the auspices of balance of performance. Cadillac's engine size has come down to a mere, I mean, a voiturette-sized 5.5 litres. Yeah, you need a microscope to find it now. Yeah. It's um, No, but it, it, it was something that they did to try and help with the balance of performance. They feel like the 5.5-litre naturally aspirated engine would be a better move for them. So coming into this race, they are going with a smaller fuel tank than they had last year, a smaller engine than they had last year. How is that going to affect the balance Mm. when they've come off of 2016 doing a whole load of testing on the car? They haven't really done that in the same effect with 2017. So it's going to be interesting to see how much data they can take from last year's race and relay it to this car because effectively it's another new car. The... Other manufacturers that are in there, we've got um, the chassis manufacturers that go across DPI and uh, the WEC, the global P2 cars, if you will. We we did get uh, the victory by the global car towards the end of last season. I thought it was a stellar season for the IMSA technical guys in the first, let's not forget, the first season of a brand new formula. And, I mean, the key thing change from last year to this year Johnny from when when you and I were sitting here last year is there is another year of data under their belt and you know I won't say it was a finger in the air because that's not how they work here it was data led but we can probably expect an even closer race here this year than we saw last year. Yeah, you've got data from not only this race 12 months ago, but throughout the year as well. And uh, I mean, I don't have a big enough brain to be able to work out how the various the, the, the variables that you feed into this system and complex process of mathematics comes out and t- tells the guys, you know, how to uh, w- what to change and, and where to change it. And I assume there is still a a balance of performance clark somewhere in this building that you know he's he's it's a team it's a team of people and we were standing next to them not so very long ago um jeff and simon who were in um marion's uh earlier this afternoon uh as we were um they have a team of people and they are collecting data from every session from every race you we've seen people uh, get penalties here for not handing in their data cards in a timely fashion. We saw penalties handed out at the Roar for people who weren't showing their true hand, and mm. the technical center was able to establish that because of their live telemetry. Mm. That live. Live telemetry. Yes. There is a group of people sitting in a trailer in the IMSA paddock looking at numbers as they come in. It's like the Matrix. There's just stuff falling down a screen. They never see daylight. Those people, that team of people, they have very, very light-coloured skin. They never see daylight. Their their eyes are pink, slightly, because they never see daylight. They live in that trailer, and all they do is live for the numbers. So you you said, is there a clock? There are several. Several of them. Um, Penske back with Honda. Um, Mazda Yost, effectively a new car. 
everything being changed on that car. Late change on the livery of the 77 car uh, to have a chrome rear fin to distinguish it from their team car. Uh, asked for by the spotter, uh, I'm, I'm led to believe, after the experience of watching the car going round here at the row. Well, in tired eyes, it's definitely yeah, going to help point. when 2 o'clock in the morning, if it's shiny and coming back, it's a 77. Mm. Um, but Mazda received possibly the biggest break of balance of performance from the roar to the race. And even from last year, they're 15 kilos lighter than they were last year. And a 78-liter tank gives them the second largest in the field only to the Nissan. Uh, the Nissan is the only other car besides the Cadillac that actually has any sort of different BOP from what it ran last year. It's 10 kilos heavier than last year. So they should still have a good grasp on the race. Now, last year wasn't the best race for them. It was a double DNF with their cars. But the That Nissan- was a very new car last year. That's I mean, exactly. one of the cars was almost still being put together about this time last year. Yeah, it was. It was in the garage. They did a photo shoot with the car Wednesday afternoon, I seem to remember. Um, but they've got two wins under their belts in the last three races, keep in mind, from the IMSA season ending in 2017. They know the car now. They know the beast they are dealing with. They feel good about this race. Undoubtedly, we'll be talking an awful lot about the cars at the front of the field because that will be unless something very strange happens, and it can do here at Daytona. That will be where the overall winner will be coming from. Those will be the drivers that get the uh, Rolex Daytona Cosmograph watches. Oh, yes, that's true. Um, Much to the chagrin of some drivers um, who didn't get them in their class. Yes, all the class winners will. Um, But they will have the honour of being the overall winners. Um, GT and GTD. I want to talk about GTD first because we touched on something in the first part of the programme. I said we'd pay off. Uh, We're running out of time, so we'll we'll do it quickly. Changes to GT Daytona, GT3, um, has uh, meant that factory support has been cut back, possibly even outlawed from last year. Yeah, it's not uh, not a part of it anymore. Our Acura program, which was with Michael Shank Racing, it's still there, but the format of that program has changed. They've lost some drivers that they had last year, still have Catherine Legg, but that is a car for her that's TPNAEC only, not a full season. They've got one full season car. In terms of the Lexus program, which was given factory effort support last year, they now have a two-car team, but if you look closely in both cars, there might be a little bit of financial assistance being given by the drivers. So basically, what we're seeing here and this is what you were saying earlier on Johnny the danger with these customer racing cars GT3 GT4 is when the factories get involved and throw a huge amount of resources behind it it kind of skews the playing field it was allowed here in IMSA last year because both the Acura and the Lexus were effectively in development years that's now gone yeah, you've got to be careful, though, that you know you get all, all the backing from the manufacturers when they're trying to push the car, when they're trying to get interest in customer sales, and then when they realise that the units are flowing nicely, they just disappear mm. on the face of the earth. You know, And what, where does that leave the customer? So I hope there's still going to be some aftercare, if you like, along the way. Um, well, and that's, that's, that's where you live and die in your customer service yes, programme. Yes, yes. For many years, Porsche was held up as the people who did that so well, I think what we've seen in, pre- in the last few years is Audi's operation, particularly here, Audi Sport Customer Racing with Brad Kettler looking after that here. Chris Renke has taken it on um, from a global perspective. Uh, AMG, Mercedes-Benz now looking to do a similar thing as are BMW, McLaren and everybody else because there's money in selling selling cars and and I and I think that's in, an interesting point that you make there that you live and die as I say by that it's not just selling the car to start with but in in fact it's not that different from going buying a street car 
the GT3 class is a balance of performance class. So ultimately, all the cars should have broadly similar um, performance parameters. Therefore, what are you going to do? You're going to look at the best deal and the best after-sales package, much as you do when you buy a road car. Yes, yes, true. And uh, it is important about you know making the whole process uh, enjoyable and as, as uh, free-flowing as possible um, so that, obviously, you, your customers keep coming back and, and therefore buy the new products as well. Um, I think GTD is going to be fascinating. I'm a big mm. GT3 fan, yes, per se, you know, so. across the whole, whole of the globe. And... Uh, GTD is often where we look for a tremendous scrap. It's so difficult to predict, and we'll get many different leaders, I think, across the 24 hours. GT Le Mans, um, GTE, running to the same specs um, as the cars that will go to Le Mans this year. As I've mentioned, BMW are back. They didn't have the best of runs at the Raw, uh, although they did get up to speed. They got onto the back of the field. There weren't the full seconds and more gap there. Um they will be looking to improve. They will certainly be looking to get miles underneath that car. We've been talking about it for a long time. They were delayed in the very early parts of that in that programme in the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, because they went a long way down with a particular concept of the car that two of the other manufacturers at a very, very late time objected to and they couldn't take the 10 centimetres out the middle of the car as they wanted to and uh, we've been talking about that since this time last year well just after this time in fact I think it was here last year that we talked to no it was at the Nordschleife Nürburgring Jens Markart told us about that live uh, on the air um, so getting on for eight nine months ago uh, was that but they're here they're making steady progress Porsche have come with all guns blazing uh, brought back some fan favourites here in terms of the driver's share. Um, good first year for them last year with a new car, but they want to build on that. Only one win last year. That is not acceptable to Porsche. That's why they've come back hungrier than ever. If you consider how close they were to the win last year when it was Patrick Pile crossing the line mm. right behind the winning 66 Ford, they remember that. They feel that, and they want this win, I would argue, more than any other this year. But you mentioned Ford there, and if you go back 12 months from last year, so two years ago, that was a new car for Ford. They had a Daytona, for the most part, to forget. One of the cars in particular just never ran correctly, and then they come back 12 months later and you know have a brilliant run. Are Porsche in the position to do that? Uh, Marco, who was running the project, has moved on to pastures new. There's been some changes in the management, but you can't, you cannot discount the driver combinations that are in those two cars? No, absolutely not. Uh, both of the Porsches will be strong. They will both be gunning for the win. I think bringing back Nick Tandy to partner with Patrick Pile for a full season, though, those guys are going to come out guns blazing. On the flip side, the 67 Ford, by the time the green flag falls, will be more than 600 days without a win. Mm. They have brought a completely new chassis for this year, 30,000 miles on the old one, 10 of which came last year in racing alone. They want this win. So I think it's going to be a fist fight between those two cars for the end. Yeah, but so do Corvette. And Corvette have a great history here. And Corvette tend to do that quietly, quietly. Oh, there we are. We're at the checkered flag. Oh, look at that. Closest finish ever at the Daytona International Speedway. And that was that was not staged. No, no, no. That was full fists out between Gavin and Garcia. And if you ask Antonio about it, you still get that emotion in his eyes. Mm-hmm. It still hurts. So for a guy who has that brought up every single year, every 12 months, he wants to reverse it. He wants to be the one crossing the line four thousandths of a second ahead. 
And the other thing is that there was a championship win for uh, Jan Magnussen, Antonio Garcia last year. The other side of that garage must feel it's their turn for some success. One win last year, and that was their only podium. Mm. So the four car feels like there's a lot of unfinished business. They had a rough year all around, but normally when they have a rough year, they rebound well. There's a pattern to racing, so it should be better for the four crew. So those are the big manufacturer teams. It wouldn't be... uh, an IMSA series without some plucky privateers. Reese not likely to do a full season this year as they didn't last year, but... They got sponsorship on the car for the Daytona 24, which is something brand new to mm. Reese. They don't normally do sponsorship. Could this be enough funding to potentially get them through a full season? If you look back at the pattern of champions that we've had in ALMS and IMSA over the last six years, we had the four-car win, then the three, then a team that, well, basically ran one driver all year. That would be uh, Tony Vlander this year, mm-hmm. as he is the only announced full season so far contender for Risi Competizioni. I say if they run a full season, they're in a sh- with a shot of the championship. Well, if you want to find out what's going to happen, never mind the speculation that Shea, Johnny and myself have had over the uh, the last couple of hours about both Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge and the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, there is only one place that has it covered, and it's right here on the network, on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Uh, RS2 is IMSA Radio for 2018, and we'll start our coverage with free practice one live from the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, we have a, a full team here and a very experienced team here. We'll introduce them to you uh, across the weekend. And don't forget the Continental Tyres race in sound and vision Uh, Globally, here in the US and globally, we've got the WeatherTech qualifying here in the US and globally, and then the race for our international viewers also in vision as well. No interruptions, just all of the action. For those of you in the States, Brian Till is leading the commentary team. They'll be up uh, at Charlotte in North Carolina, but their pit crew are down here on a combination of Fox, FS1, FS2 and FS Go. So if you're in the States, that's the way to, to watch. But of course, you can still listen to us here on RS2 IMSA Radio and for the race on XM Sirius. We'll have all the details on the Radio Le Mans website and the broadcast schedule is on there as well. Uh, thanks to Tim Gray up in London for making this all work. The responsible adult, as ever, floating around in the ether is Eve Hewitt. She is omnipotent, so she is everywhere. And go and find out why I say this. Um, great story about Saudi Arabia and camels this week, but there's no time to explain because the llama is having plastic surgery. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.